Hi, and welcome to another What's Up podcast. I'm Becca Martin-Brown, the entertainment editor for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and I am thrilled to have in the studio a whole bunch of people from Theater Squared and their new production of Dial M for Murder. I have with me the director, Melissa Rain Anderson, the surprised husband, Colin Sparr, the... I don't know what the inspector is yet. Inspector Hubbard, Eric Dean White, and Maxine. You'll find out more about Maxine. Her real name's Amanya Narula. Welcome, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, how did you wind up here for this show? <laughs> well, we auditioned. Um, but why Theater Squared? Why Fayetteville, Arkansas? How did you even know we were here? So, um, I would say that my, my artistic growth happened. My artistic home is Chicago. I'm local, both Chicago and L.A. And um, I actually, it was kind of word of mouth. I have a bunch of friends who did shows at Theater Squared. Um, Sanctuary City, uh, Mean Girls, a bunch of other things, and kind of word got around in Chicago that Theater Squared was a really amazing theater, and Fateville was like a really cute town, and the community was, you know, really supportive, and so I looked into it, and I've kind of been like gremlin stalking Theater Squared, <laughs> uh, for, for a while now, and, uh, you know, it was just kind of, it, it felt like, it was the right time, right moment. The strike was happening in L.A., and uh, my agent got me this audition. And I am a big fan of Hitchcock. I love a good thriller. And uh, when I found out it was kind of a modern modern take, modern lens of a classic, mm-hmm. it, was, it just felt really tasty. You so. get to be the big surprise. Yeah, it's exciting. It's uh, it's it's fun being being like the... The updated edition. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, and it's fun recognizing that, like, be, trying to pay homage to, like, the original text and, you know, trying to sort of, because uh, there's going to be a lot of, you know, OGs in the audience, people who love the Hitchcock mm-hmm. film. And totally. so you want to honor that, but then also... Surprise! You know, yeah, it's like 2023 and, you know, it's it's... A lot of female energy, a lot of new we'll energy. We'll come back and tell you more about that in a little bit. <laughs> so, Eric, how did you get here? Uh, I'm from St. Louis. Um, I live in St. Louis, and I have had a handful of uh, friends that have actually worked at Theater Squared before, so I was aware of them. And I had bet, met uh, um, the artistic directors, too, a couple of times. And so I was very aware of what uh, they were doing down here and the new facilities that they were building the last few years and wanted to work down here. Of course, the the pandemic kind of slowed everything down for all of us. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the Theater Square has been on my radar for some time now, and I finally got this opportunity to, to do something. And so. it's one of the amazing theaters that survived the pandemic. Yes. Well, exactly. absolutely. Colin, what's your excuse? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've uh, similarly, I mean, Theater Squared has a good reputation among my friends. You're from Chicago, right? I'm also from Chicago. Um, Amanya and I had not crossed paths yet. Uh, but have both spent time in Chicago. I um, I love doing theater in different regions. I think that it's a really great theater. Is such a live, visceral art form, and so to go get to know a different community and like you know figure out what speaks to them. And uh, I find that 
audiences in the regions are really loyal to their theaters because uh, there's a real connection there with the storytelling happening um, you know, in your local community. And I think that's really valuable. Yeah, so. We fangirl our actors. <laughs> great. great. So you're the New Yorker. Sure. Yes. How'd you get here and how do you like Fayetteville? Um, no, uh, we've been having a great time. Really great uh, restaurants and places to hang out. Um, the weather's been a little bit too warm, but we'll, <laughs> we'll deal with that. It's still gorgeous. Love how green it is around here still. Um, I, Direct at Utah Shakespeare Festival a lot, and the artistic director, uh, Bob Ford, has seen my work. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of the best way for a director to get a job, mm -hmm. is the artistic director sort of has to see your work, right? So then um, we've been in touch for years, and again, the, uh, the pandemic sort of slowed that relationship down, but then now coming out of it, I sort of beelined for this particular play because it was a slot in my schedule that was open, and I love this play. I worked on the original, the Frederick Knott version. Mm -hmm. And so when I was like, oh, they're doing the Hatcher, the new updated version, I got really excited and had a great conversation with Bob and Amy, or a Zoom, mm -hmm. you know, as we do. As we do. Um, now, and it was just a really good fit. Like, it was a, it was good timing. It was a good fit. They hired me and I was, I was really, really happy because I have a couple of shows coming up, but this one slid right in. You're going from here to Orient Express, I'm right? doing another murder mystery, yes, Murder on the Orient Express, the new the Ken Ludwig version at Pioneer Theater Company in Salt Lake City. Oh. So it's my late summer, early fall of murder mysteries, <laughs> 2023. <laughs> but I, I adore the genre, so I can't complain. So how do you start, since it all starts with you, how do you start with the pay homage to the original? But, oh, gee, there's a rather significant twist in this one, but we're setting it in the 50s in... Theater noir. Where do you begin? Sure. Well, I mean, I I had worked on the original, and I know the movie really well. As as you prep for anything, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's it's really important to watch the movie, and sometimes you want may want to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. But I think with this one, it was important for all of us to sort of have that background because there are so many um, homages to the the Hitchcock film, and we wanted to keep it as noiry <laughs> as possible <laughs> in the theater genre. Um, and our sound designer and lighting designer are really going to help with setting that sort of tone of the noir. Um, so you read the script. You read the script, you read the <laughs> you script. Read the I mean, that's it's all on the page, right? So really it starts with Frederick Knott, the original um, writer, and then Jeffrey Hatcher is now this new adapter. And so his adaptation is super interesting, and we've been finding a lot of secret, you know, um, sort of... What, are, what do you want to call it? Like Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. And actually, we've been in touch with Jeffrey Hatcher. Oh, cool. So we've been able to ask some questions that were confusing to us that m might not be really clear on the page. And he's been really lovely and awesome. And he actually gave us a page of like 12 small cuts and um, edits. Ooh. So we're actually doing... So we're a world premiere. <laughs> I guess. That's right. <laughs> yeah, with these 12 new editions, you could say this is the first time that this this particular script has been produced. Cool. So when you say Easter eggs, if people really know and love this, are there going to be things that they go, aww? No, I think they're going to be really excited about how enhanced it is. Okay. Um, time is compressed. There are a lot of theater um, magic. There's a lot of theater mm -hmm. magic that happens where two things are happening at the same mm -hmm. time. And I think it just ramps up the stakes and ramps up the suspense. Okay. So tell me about... The poor beleaguered husband. 
<laughs> yeah, he's really in a tough spot, you know. Um, <laughs> do I kill her or don't I? I don't know. It's a big decision. And, or do I get somebody else to do it for me? That's the big question. Um, I mean, I think uh, one of the things that I think really works about this new adaptation of this is that the jealousy that he's feeling is like all mixed in with his jealousy for his writer friend and his jealousy that his wife is cheating on him with his writer friend who is also a woman. Right. And so There's the big secret, guys. There we go. Sorry. Okay. Sorry to spoil. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the layers of that and the complications of being So he's been betrayed twice. Absolutely. And in a way that is difficult for him to understand as a man of this time. Um, and so I think just like the frustration and uh, the way that that just like he becomes fixated on it and can't let it go and has to do something about it and ends up, you know, plotting a huge revenge. And you are, this seems out of character for you for the 10 minutes I've known you, because you seem to be really happy and bubbly. Well, so Tony also um, seems true. like a nice guy. Don't believe everything. Okay, this is the nice version. He had his coffee. I get it. I get it. Well, you know, what everybody says about Tony before we even see him is what a charmer he is. And so I think that, you know, like many people in our lives, um, you can get away with a lot if you, you know, shellac some charm on top of it. <laughs> so I have the feeling that Inspector Hubbard is almost sort of kind of the Greek chorus that says, but, but, but. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I think of, you know, there's five of us in this cast, and I almost think of Inspector Hubbard as being the one that is probably the most stereotypical 1950s <laughs> character. Um, you know, he's the the the, the detective that's going to come in here and figure it all out. You know, um, Jeffrey Hatcher, who did this adaptation, um, worked on the the show Columbo, uh -huh. and it's kind of hard not to draw some parallels between that. Of like, you know, what is? Do you, you know, have some is... Columbo flavor to him? Well, I I, I certainly don't want to copy that, but I think it's in the script a little bit. There's a little bit of like he, he you you start to realize as the play goes on, like oh, he may be a little bit more aware of some things that are happening than you first thought. You know, okay. that kind of thing. So, do you he, like him? I do like him. There's a, he's probably also the one character, just if you go by the script, that we know the least about. The playwright doesn't tell us a whole lot about his personal life, so I kind of have to build that myself. Mm -hmm. But I think he's, yeah, he's very lifeable. He's a very up, upstanding gentleman, you know, of the time, and he's there to figure out what happened and get to the truth, you know? So, Amanya, when I assume this happened in the 50s, but we certainly would never have heard about it. Mm-hmm. How do you start how do you start creating that with our mindset from 2023 and then realizing that you're how many years ago? We're not going to talk about how many years ago that is. <laughs> and in a very different world. How did you create Maxine? Well, I mean, you know, the stakes are obviously higher, right? And I mean, I, I you would say that in in our current uh, day and age, you know, we, we've, there are still parallels, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. You know? uh, I was raised between both Thailand and India, so those parallels are a lot more apparent for me, and so mm -hmm. there's a lot more to draw from. Um, but, you know, I, in terms of uh, this specific circumstance, you know, of like uh, the same gender, whatever, I come from a world in which love is always challenged, whether it's it's between two religions, between two caste systems, whatever. And so to me, I just see a, 
I see characters that aren't allowed to live their truths, regardless of what gender they mm-hmm. are. It's their love that is being challenged, and to me, that's more important. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, like Maxine to me is kind of a she's a she's someone like I I wish I was. Uh, I love Maxine, and she's I, very bold. I assume. Yeah, very bold, very sure of herself. You know, determined, uh, and I really appreciate. Uh, Hatcher for writing her the way he did because so often, you know, um, and I'm a fight choreographer, I love action movies and I love this, you know, female renaissance that's happening in Hollywood right now. But so often we see strong female leads as like Wonder Woman, which I love, or like, you know, this like super badass girl who jumps from a building and punches a guy. But we've forgotten strength and femininity and we've forgotten internal strength. Mm-hmm. And both Margot and Maxine are very strong women. Uh, we don't know if they're physically strong, but they're very internally strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find that really exciting to portray is this power that comes from acknowledging your feminine side. And so I think that's very, really fun with Maxine. What would have been, what do you suppose would have been the consequences for them in the 50s? I mean, I think we see it play out in the play a little bit with, um, you know, once we get into the second act yeah. and you see how the world responds to this story and mm-hmm. what a scandal it is and what the what the society chooses to pull out as salacious and, you know, front page headlines um, sort of. There's a lot of judgment around mm-hmm. it. Um it's swift, too. It happens very quickly. Yeah. I think either you said or I read that Inspector Hubbard was way too willing to believe Margot's the bad guy. Yeah, I mean, but it, it's a complicated story. I mean, you can see how he was sort of pushed that way by one of the other <laughs> characters in the show. That'd be the um, husband. That's the look you didn't see. <laughs> but the good thing is he also is open to other perspectives and comes back around again as well, too. But yes, given the time, it's easy how, you know, the, he could get pushed a certain direction to believe that since this relationship between two women was going on, there was something un- unseemly happening here, you know. But I think one of the interesting things that the playwright does really well in the adaptation is that the that is all like we're getting that from context from what we're learning about the world, but the characters in the play themselves are just really dealing with each other and their relationships with each other. And it doesn't become like, that's it doesn't become a focal point. It stays about the people and what they want from each other and how they're going to get what they need. So you're not preaching any particular. No, no. no. Yeah. The judgment doesn't, the judgment comes. That's a great way to put it, Colin. It's coming out from outside Outside. of the play, but internally it's really about interpersonal relationship. So I always ask this question, always, to directors and actors alike. What do you hope the audience is talking about when they leave? And do you hope that they're talking mostly about, hey, this was a great show. Look at how dynamic these performances were. The set, everything was beautiful. Or do you hope there's also an undercurrent of a deeper meaning that this is not... This is still a problem. The world hasn't changed nearly enough for the number of years that have passed. 
Sure. I mean, I, I think that's great. I think both of those those two things are wonderful, and I hope that they are also very thrilled by <laughs> by the ending. Um, then we've accomplished. Should they be thrilled, our job. like looking over their shoulder, walking <laughs> sure, to a car? Sure. Great. I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, those, those kind of chills that you know you, you get up your spine. Hopefully, we can create that for the final moment. Um, but I think you know what I hope people are talking about is that love, true love, in all forms. It deserves to be protected. Absolutely. Did you get to do fight choreography? No, um, we have a fight choreographer on this production, but I am loosely assisting on the fight captain yeah. for She's it. Fight captain. Yeah. So I am watching for errors. So tell me about the fight sequence. Sequences? Let's see. I can't, <laughs> without revealing too much. Um... <laughs> I well, think, we can talk about the prep. You know, we don't need to talk about the plot of it, right? Like, yeah. How how much we we worked on it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything was super meticulous, and um, David Reed, uh, our fight choreographer, was very very particular about you know step by step process. And everyone mm -hmm. comes from a different background. Kaling, uh, Margot mm -hmm. uh, comes from a heavy dance background, and so you know, uh, the way in which it was choreographed was sort of. Uh, cater towards that understanding. Mm -hmm. um, like there were a lot of beats uh, played like one, uh, one, two, three, four, which is a very common dance mm -hmm. mindset. Right. Um, and you know, things were very step-by-step, -step, sort of the given circumstance and kind of um, understanding li literally what could happen with the bodies that are on stage. So is are all five cast members involved in a fight sequence at some Maybe. point? Maybe. Maybe. You'll have to come find out. Yeah, come and see. <laughs> I really like these people. <laughs> I like these people. Okay, one more question I want to ask, because I've been talking to Morgan Hicks about it. Did Morgan come in and do your intimacy coordination for this show? Yeah. Yes. This has been a summer in northwest Arkansas, where everybody's been kissing everybody. <laughs> Oh, hey. wow. We got here just in time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've just done It Should Have Been You on a stage okay. here. Great. We've just done Heather's where the two dads really got into coming out. <laughs> um, what is, when I was doing theater in college, intimacy coordinator was not a concept we even had. We barely had lights. Um, <laughs> What does an intimacy coordinator do for you that is really important? Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of like um, what Almanya was just alluding to is people come from such different backgrounds and different experiences when it comes to any sort of physical interaction, intimacy, whether it be uh, kissing or making out or a moment of violence or whether it's something much more tender and soft. And so... An intimacy coordinator is there to check and say, hey, let's check in about our boundaries. Let's talk about where we feel comfortable being touched, where the character might feel comfortable being touched, because those might be two different things. And then just hold a space where we can talk about the storytelling of this moment. And it's not just two actors, you know, going off and being like, ah, oh, fig figure out, figure out that part. Uh, but we can actually say, how long do we think this kiss is? 
what, what, um, who initiates this kiss? Who ends this kiss? Mm-hmm. Um, and then both of the actors can feel really confident in telling that story, knowing that we're not, you know, blurring any professional lines or getting into territory that's going to make anybody uncomfortable. So it's kind of a choreography. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yes. And so we'll have before, um, you know, I think a lot of people, audiences know that there's a fight call before mm-hmm. a show that has fights in it. And so uh, we may meet for fight call and have a, an intimacy call as well, just to run through those moments. And does it apply to, does it also apply to the fight choreography in a way? That perhaps you're not comfortable with getting kicked in the groin, which was part of Heather's last night. Does it also apply to that? So there, there is like this is where sometimes you have um, a fight choreographer and an intimacy director collaborating. Sometimes it can be the same person, mm-hmm. but it's two separate tracks, um, and sort of understanding when does the intimacy person step in and when does the fight person step in. Uh, if this is an act of violence. Like choreographer is as if it's an act of sexual violence, that's a collaboration between the intimacy director and the fight choreographer. But boundaries are boundaries regardless, mm-hmm. and they should be they should be honored. The way it's communicated and the way it's uh, facilitated is slightly different with fight choreography than it is with intimacy direction, because more often than not in fight choreography, you have the choreographer stepping into the fight. With intimacy you can't necessarily step into the intimacy. Mm-hmm. You can only facilitate it from a distance. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, what, it, case by case, depending mm-hmm. on the needs of the show. As a director, do you see it as something that makes your life easier? Oh, it's super helpful. Yeah, I mean, I just hired somebody for a show that I'm doing, and they will be both. They're going to be both uh, fight and intimacy because the intimacy is completely woven into the the combat Mm -hmm. so it's for me I thought you know what that makes sense to me you know and they they are a person that I really trust on both sides of the coin um I also see value in it being two separate people Mm -hmm. um uh, I think it's absolutely needed and it's 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 on the it's on it's the you know a byline that we can't get rid of we can never go walk backwards from this now because it does make everybody feel I hope the hope is that people actually feel taken, really taken care of. And, you know, boundaries can change. Like, they could have a check-in on a matinee, and if somebody is just just not feeling like they want to be touched in a certain place, they can, they can say, I don't want to be touched here today. I'm having a bad day. Yeah. Can we do this a little? Yeah. You can check mm-hmm. in with your partner, and, and if things are shifting, or you check in with the um, stage manager, or sometimes there's an intimacy um, coach inside if it's a really heavy mm-hmm. intimacy show. How do you all react? This is the last question, and again, this is curiosity from this summer. They had people walk out of it should have been you when the revelation of who was really in love with whom came out. Mm. How do you react if you have a really negative reaction like that? What does it do to you as a director, as an actor, or just part of you cheer that, oh, we're doing our job? Yeah, we're all sort of shaking our heads like, yeah, we're doing our job. <laughs> I mean, we the text is the text, right? The producers decided to produce this production. We all said yes. Um, if 
people have a problem with it, then it's their opportunity and it's their right to not want to sit and watch it. Um, but it's kind of out of our hands, really. It's not our responsibility to hold, I don't think. I don't spend much time thinking about that at all. No, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I've, I've learned to audiences, even from night to night, react completely different oh, yeah. to, to shows. And uh, it's just good to get a reaction sometimes. I always feel like it's my responsibility to tell people because I remember going to see Rant for the first time and the cute little old couple sitting in front of me who clearly had not read the PR for the show and didn't make it very long into it. And if someone had told them. Yeah, and I think we're being pretty straightforward about that because, you know, our, our photos are, you know, it's pretty, you find out pretty quickly, you know, that it's a female couple. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think we're hiding it. But I think now generally we're being much more, if you're surprised, it's because you didn't read sure the PR, the newspaper, the internet, sure. the something. Yeah. So I'm glad it doesn't worry y'all. <laughs> I worry for you. It's okay. <laughs> I also feel like people deserve to, to process in their own way, right? Do I feel like I'm going to change the world in five seconds? No, but if it starts a conversation in someone's mind, right? And I, you know, regardless of this is a hypothetical scenario, someone walking out, you know, they felt inclined to, I can't stop them from doing that. But if it, if it stirs something in them enough that gets them to think and contemplate and process why, you know, I still think that that is a step forward. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, because at least it, at least it's there. The subject's on the table right. now. Rather than it being sort of suppressed and not being talked about. Because I think that can, that, that, that sort of, what is the word, fostering, that pressure can kind of build over time, which is not uh, the most helpful. Let's end this on something less serious. Which well, if you notice it during, if you notice during a performance that somebody's walking out, you know, maybe they just had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> maybe so they not. needed to go to the bar for another whiskey sour. <laughs> maybe so. Okay, quick answer. What's your favorite costume piece? Ooh, um, my favorite costume piece. We, mm, we have, I'll say my pajamas. Okay. What's your favorite costume piece? Um, probably this really cool trench coat that I have. <laughs> What's your favorite costume piece? I have to wear fur in a scene, and that's really fun. All right. What's your favorite set piece? Ooh. What is it? I don't know. Um, Oh, well, this lock (laughs) on the front door that we're still trying to solve. Even today, Ah. I was at the theater, and uh, there's a big question mark about how the lock's going to work. So come and and see. Come and see how they figured it out. We don't even know yet how it's going to work. We don't. (laughs) Much of my life. You can see Dial M for Murder at 7.30 Tuesday through Friday, 2 and 7.30 on Saturday, and 2 on Sunday through the 10th of September at Theater Square. Tickets are $44 and up at theater2.org. Thank you all for being here. You're so fabulous. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Thank you, you for Becca. having us.